Hey, Pastor Josh here. Thanks so much for watching our videos. If you'd like more information about Legacy City Church, you can go to LegacyCityChurch.com. Please don't forget to like, subscribe, and hit the bell below. God bless you. We are in Matthew chapter 22 in our Bibles. Matthew chapter 22, if you want to turn there. And the title of the sermon is, How to Live Life. How to Live Life. This is sermon number 88 through the book of Matthew. And we are almost done with the book. We'll cover verses 34 to 40 today. We're working through a series I've titled Jesus Worldview, where we look through the lens of the Lord Jesus. We put on his glasses. We put on his eyes. We try to see through his view, his opinions, his ideas, how we arrived at this place in this day and age where there are so many views and opinions, yet we listen to many views and opinions except the Lord Jesus. And above all, I hope that we would have that as the premise of our life. And then we would filter the rest of the world's opinions and views through that view, that that would be the litmus test, that that would be the source of truth. We're working through the book of Matthew, verse by verse, chapter by chapter. Heard of a story. Maybe you heard this one too. A husband had fallen ill with some very serious symptoms. His wife took him to a doctor who examined him and ran a complete test all the way through trying to find out what was wrong. After it was done, the doctor told the man to get dressed and step outside, please, sir. And after the husband was gone, the wife said, give it to me straight, doctor. What's wrong with my husband? He says, well, your husband is going to die unless you take some special measures for him. Of course, doctor, I'll do anything to help my husband. And this is what you must do. First of all, you must not allow him to have any stress whatsoever. You must make him three healthy meals a day, do whatever he asks you to do, smother him with kisses all the time, and tell him how much you love him, give him whatever he wants or needs, spoil him rotten, and wait on him hand and foot, and then your husband will live. Well, on the way home, the husband said to the wife, well, honey, what did the doctor say? Am I going to get well? Without missing a beat, the wife said, so sorry, honey, it's terminal. Come on, it's just a joke. I felt the majority of the crowd liked it, but there were a few out there just like, mm. The how-tos of life, the how-to videos, handbooks, and posts on social media are seeming to gain a lot of momentum again. And I think it's because there's an entire generation trying to figure out life. Because they don't learn a lot of the basic tools for life in school, like how to cook, or how to manage money, or how to be successful, or how to be a good spouse, or how to be happy, how to be healthy. We don't learn any of these things in school. Isn't that crazy? What if I told you that the Lord Jesus has answered the greatest how-to of all? And he does it in our text today, and I title it, How to Live Life. He literally gives us the greatest how-to, and it's something we've read over, something we've heard maybe thousands of times if you grew up in the church. But man, it was refreshing to take a look at it once again in detail of what the Lord is trying to say to us. What is he trying to gift us? He says, here's the how-to, how-to to live life. 
We are in Matthew chapter 22 in our Bibles. Can we stand for the reading of God's word? We always stand for the reading of God's word to pay honor to him. Remember whose word we are reading, not my words, but these are the words of the Lord Jesus from the Bible, the word of God, which we rest our lives upon. Matthew chapter 22, take a look at verse 34. When the Pharisees heard that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered themselves together. And one of them, a scholar of the law, asked him a question, testing him. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God, with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the greatest and foremost commandment. And the second is like it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang the whole law and the prophets. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word again today. And Commandments that we have heard time and time and time again. Lord, you are trying to give us the how-to, how to live life. And I pray that we would discover it all over again. I pray that our hearts would burn for you all over again. That we would come to find life in this text as we look at it closely today. Minister to us by the power of your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You can be seated. Over the last few weeks, we have seen Jesus be challenged in questions by the Pharisees, the Herodians, and the Sadducees, all trying to trap him in his words, so to accuse him and have him arrested and removed or abandoned by his followers. But the Lord has a field day responding to these guys. And he really puts them to shame over and over and over again putting them in their place. Remember, we are in Passion Week in our storyline. The week Jesus actually goes to the cross and raises from the dead in our context. And all these conversations are leading up to the, the arrest of the Lord Jesus. Remember, J Judas coming and kissing him and betraying him. And Jesus being arrested, then crucified, then raising from the dead three days later. But today before us, we see one final question from the Pharisees, and it is the greatest answer of all. Look at verse 34 again. But when the Pharisees heard that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, that's why they were sad, you see, they gathered themselves together. Come on. They gathered themselves together. And one of them, a scholar of the law, asked him a question testing him. We saw Jesus silence the Sadducees last week. A full ancient mic drop, so much so that word got around town, the Pharisees found out. They said, what? Even the Sadducees got silenced by Jesus? Okay, that's it. We're pulling out the big guns. We've done everything we can. And so they gather themselves together again and try and trap the Lord again. And this is crazy how many times and how much effort they put in trapping the Lord Jesus. The miracle man. 
He challenged the religious leaders and the foundation of their entire lives. What he was saying was shaking their whole world. They were trapped. And he was shaking the fake dead religion of that day. It looked great on the outside, but it was a big fake empty shell, and Jesus kept poking holes in it. And they hated him for it. So this time they find the top scholar of the law in their land and get him to question the Lord Jesus. Now most of your texts use the word lawyer there. Most of your Bibles say a lawyer came to him. And he was that. This man was a lawyer. He was an expert on the law of Moses. Our lawyers today are experts on our law. And there are all kinds of different laws for family and for marriage and for all kinds of different areas. Well, he was specifically a lawyer based upon the law of Moses. And he was an expert on that law in the Jewish system. They would call him a scholar. And one especially, of course, of the entire Old Testament, which makes, which makes up the law and the prophets. So we have an expert lawyer of the law and the prophets versus Saturday night, pay-per-view. The lawgiver. We have, again, an expert lawyer of the law and the prophets versus the lawgiver. The one who actually etched the stone tablets and gave them to Moses on Mount Sinai. Here he is, standing before us. He was there. He was on that mountain. And he gave the law to Moses. And here is this scholar, this expert lawyer coming up to the lawgiver. It's beautiful. And he says this to him, verse 36. Teacher, Rabbi, which is the greatest commandment in the law. So the lawyer asks the Lord, which is the greatest commandment, or what command do you think is most important? Which do you think sums up the entire law? What do you think is the premise of the entire law of the Old Testament? He no doubt is talking about the 613 commands in the Old Testament. And the rabbis would break those down into 248 positive laws and 365 negative laws. Before and after the time of Jesus, rabbis would be asked, the, the head rabbi of that day would be asked these questions many times over, Rabbi, teach us, tell us what is the greatest commandment. They want to hear from the great rabbis of each time, what is the greatest commandment? What is the premise of all of the law? What is God asking us to do? And this is, of course, a question on the earth today now, isn't it? What does God want us to do? What, what are we supposed to do with life? Is life just made up of getting up and going to work and making money and that currency goes into that account so then I can go and get some food and so I can eat something and put clothes on and then repeat the process over and what is life? What's the point? What is the greatest command regarding life? Which would you highlight, Rabbi? Jesus. And Jesus gives them an Old Testament answer. He chooses Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 5. He quotes scripture. Deuteronomy 6, 5. And he answered them, verse 37, and said to them, Here it is. 
Here is the greatest command. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the greatest and foremost commandment. He quotes the Shema. Shema Israel Adonai Eloheinu Adonai Ephod. Shema Israel. This is Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4. And every Jew who's grown up under Judaism knows this and has quoted it hundreds, not thousands of times. That is verse 4 of Deuteronomy 6. The next verse, verse 5, is what Jesus is quoting. Then you shall love the Lord your God. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your mind. Jesus says this is the absolute greatest commandment, and it is to love, watch this, your God. Your God. Your God. When you break down this idea, it's just beautiful. The greatest commandment in the universe from God for life is just for you to love your God. All I'm asking you to do is love God. Just love him. Just love him. Just love the one who is love. Love the one who made love. That doesn't seem too difficult. Just love your God. Have a relationship with him. Of all the things God can command you to do, bow five times a day, ride your bike, door knocking on thousands of doors on your mission, do this many Hail Marys, put out food at your doorstep for the gods every day. Of all the things that Jesus could highlight, he highlights the one command that says everything but leaves it vague enough for love, for life, for living, for real relationship. The greatest thing you could ever do with your life is love your God. Just love your Father in heaven. What? You mean I don't have to like go on a pilgrimage and climb some high mountain to go talk with a monk somewhere? No. Would you just love God? That's it. How can something so simple be so mind-blowing? If I told you to go home and love your spouse, just that phrase, go home and love your spouse, that is direct enough so that you know what to do, but vague enough to demand relationship. Only you know what it means to love your spouse, or your mom, or your dad, or your best friend. Jesus says, go home and love your God. How much? With all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind. He is saying, love your God with everything that you have, all of your being. Put him first in everything. The phrase, all of your heart, soul, and mind, and might, as we see in Deuteronomy 6, is not meant to be broken down and analyzed in each word. Explaining the heart, explaining the soul, explaining the mind, explaining the might. That's not the point. 
It is meant to say that you are to love your God with everything quickly and directly. That's it. It's so funny because even within that, we want to break down all the mechanics. Everything you are, everything you have, put in verse, very simple. I love that the specific breakdown isn't given to us in the text. Jesus doesn't even say it in the answer, now does he? He says, you want to know the greatest command? Go home and love your God. And of course we say, how? Sure, we can put together a systematic theology on loving God through the Bible, but Jesus doesn't do that here. He just lets it be. Because relationship is alive and real. It is not mechanical rules and laws. When we love a person, there are thousands of unrealized, uncalculated actions going on there. It could be a look at your spouse, a loving look. It could be a hug. It could be a word. It could be helping with something. It could be a small, thoughtful gift. It could be just sitting together in the park saying nothing. That can say a lot. And there's no mechanics attached to it now, is there? It's just pure, uncalculated love. And I love that it's hidden because it can't be faked. You can't fake yourself into the greatest command. You can't do it. It doesn't work. I went to church every Sunday, all, every single week this year. Good. Why? I read my Bible every single day this year. It's good. Why? You cannot fake your relationship in loving God. It doesn't work. Jesus says, love your God with everything. And man, I love this. Back to the Garden of Eden. Just walk with me through the garden in the cool of the day. Let's talk. Know me. Understand me. Live with me. I will be a father to you. You will be my child. You will be my son, my daughter, and we will walk through life together. That's loving God. It's a real, alive, peaceful, loving, joyful relationship with him. We don't see any other religion in the world called God their father. In most religious views, God is seen as a distant, purely majestic figure who sits in a throne room. But the true God reveals himself as father who has a son, who has a deep relationship. And the son shows us the heart of his father as he walks on earth. If you have seen me, you have seen the father. You've seen God. I'm here. Relationship. Real connection. No mechanics. J.C. Ryle put it this way, love is the grand secret of true obedience to God. When we feel love, when we feel towards him as a child feels towards a dear father, we shall delight to do his will. We shall not find his commands grievous or work for him like slaves under fear of the lash. We shall take pleasure in trying to keep his laws and mourn when we transgress them. None work so well as they who work for love. The fear of punishment or the desire of reward are principles far less powerful. They do the will of God best who do it from the heart. Would we train children right? Let us teach them to love God. 
not out of fear, not out of obligation for reward, there is no greater power than love. Love is far greater motivator than anything else, and God loves you. God loves you. And I'm telling you, God loves you, even if you don't know him yet. He has been thinking about you for eternity. He is your Father in heaven who loves you, and the greatest command in the universe is that you would simply love him back. Relationship. You see that? As I was analyzing this, it, it, it was becoming bizarre to me that the, the greatest thing that God was commanding me to do was to love. Because if somebody has to come up to me and say, please love your kids, I love loving my kids. You don't have to force me or push me to do that. Their love, when they look into my eyes, I love how pure it is. I took Sheppy on a little ride the other day, and in the back seat he goes, Thank you, Daddy. So pure. There's nothing else attached to it. He's not trying to get anything from me. And I gladly love him back. And God says in relationship with his people, this is the greatest thing I require of you, the greatest thing. Would you please just love me? Love your father because I love you greatly. There is something so pure and refreshing about that. Jesus has already answered the question, but he takes it one step further and basically says, the first command, though it is number one and the greatest, is not complete without this one. When we jump into this next one, he's about to quote Leviticus. I want you to reference back to the fact that once again, all the mechanics are removed because I think a lot of people think if you want to have a relationship with God you have to do this and do that and then do this and do that and then do this and then do that and do 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 do's and that's just a bunch of do do actually that's all it is <laughs> building another religious way of living or religion or religiosity fake empty shell of doing a bunch of things but there is no heart no love no relationship in it this is fake stuff this changes nobody they're just principles and patterns and disciplines we put in life that we can just turn around and just walk away from but when there is deep relationship involved this is where transformation comes and again i love that there are no Jesus gives you no mechanical 10-step program on how to love God. He doesn't do it. He just says, love your God. And, and, and ironically, you know what that means. As a human being, you know what that means. I say, go love your spouse. You know what that means. And I, I love mapping out the 10 steps. Trust me. Look, look at the way I live my life. Every, I do almost the same thing every single day. I have these patterns and rhythms that I love. But I love that relationships have no patterns and no rhythms. You can't calculate them. They, they, they are purely the magical, romantic, awesome, joyful, magical times are those that are uncalculated. They just happen. The most beautiful times of love.
And that is what God is requiring of his people at the highest level with him. Walk with me through life. Let's have a relationship. The whole earth is built on relationships. This whole thing is built on relationships. And the center of it is the relationship with him. Now, Jesus quotes and attaches Leviticus chapter 19, verse 18 to Deuteronomy 6, 5. Watch this. And the second, I thought he only asked for one. What is the greatest command? Jesus is like, nope, it doesn't stop there. It is coupled with, the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. <clears throat> you shall love, who? Your neighbor. Not my neighbor. Your neighbor. Your neighbor. Your God. Your neighbor. Who is your neighbor? No. The people around you. That is your neighbor now, isn't it? For your neighbor isn't the person on the other side of the planet because you don't even know them. But if you got to know them, they would become your neighbor now, wouldn't they? Your neighbor. Love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus says this command is just like the first and as if it goes perfectly together and cannot be separated from the first. You shall love your neighbor, the people placed next to you in life, and you shall love them as you love yourself. Wow. Now I want to answer something very quickly in this part of the text. A misunderstood part of the text, and then we'll get to the good stuff. But in our culture today, there is this huge movement based upon loving yourself first above others. Is that you can't love other people until you love yourself first. And I, I understand what's being said. There are many in the Christian faith using this text as the basis for this idea. When it is actually saying the exact opposite. And it has to be said, bear with me here, Jesus says, love your neighbor as yourself, which implies you already love yourself. And he actually says, love God first, above all things, not yourself. Then love your neighbor as yourself, which implies you already love yourself. I don't want to throw water on those who are struggling with liking or loving the person that they are. Some would say, I hate myself. And I believe it's important for anyone working through this or struggling through this with loving who God has made them to be to talk with someone, to receive counseling, to receive encouragement, to work through this understanding of God's love for you just as you are. And you shouldn't hate yourself. God loves you just as you are, just as he made you. I'm not referring to those who are truly in a dark season of life we're working through this season now. We've all gone through seasons where we feel hopeless and dark and maybe even some who don't want to live anymore. Maybe not all of us have gone through it, but if you've lived long, long enough, you will go through a dark season like this. But I'm sure many of you are maybe not in that season. What I'm speaking to is an entire culture of people telling each other you need to love yourself more not speaking to the, the few, they are speaking indirectly to the few, coupling themselves in the entire thing. And uh, putting yourself first above others, that is the complete opposite of loving God first and loving your neighbor 
Because you already love yourself. No, I don't. We love ourselves. Trust me, you know how I know that you love yourself? Who do you look for when a group photo is taken first? You determine if the photo is good or bad based upon the way that you look in the photo. That's a bad one. That's really a bad photo. We don't, we don't want to post that one. No, no, that's not a good photo. Everybody else looks great. We love ourselves. We all have these social media platforms built around us. Me. Sin City is built, built upon self. That's why it's successful. Pleasuring me. Social media, Facebook, the idea, it, it, it was a perfect way to capitalize on the world because everyone wants to talk about themselves. I'm telling you, tip here in LA, are you ready? Networking tip, are you ready? If you want to connect with people, all you got to do is ask them 10 questions about them. Let them talk. And magically, I've learned this over 20 years of pastoring and being on the street, you get people talking about themselves and they walk away saying this, that person is so kind. Well, I had such a great conversation with them. I mean, I can't wait to talk with them again. Because all of us deep down, including me, want to be heard, want to be listened to, want to have deep conversation and deep connection, and that's fine. But I'm telling you, social media has capitalized on this idea of self. We are in the center of it. We don't need to tell the world to love themselves more. We need to tell them to love their neighbor more. Love God more. This is what will change society, not getting everyone to be more selfish and more focused on self more. We naturally love to focus on self. That's all we wake up and think about every single day. What do I want to eat? What do I want to do? What do I want? What do I need? It is all about me in my own mind. And this is how much we think about ourselves. We actually think everyone else is thinking about us. And they're not. They're thinking about themselves. They're not thinking about you. They're far more interested with themselves and their own needs. We should think about God first, others second, ourselves third, and you will find joy. Joy, the acronym J-O-Y, Jesus, others, yourself. That's where joy is found. That is the pattern of Christ. Now, isn't it? He said, I did not come to this earth to be served. And about me, Jesus said, but to serve and give myself a ransom for everybody else. He set the pattern. He said this also, there is no greater love than this. You can challenge the Lord if you want to. It's up to you. There is no greater love than this, than a man lays down his life for his friend. Loving yourself is not the greatest love. Loving someone else is the greatest love and the greatest fulfillment in life. And those who live selflessly and sacrificially have the most joy in life. Those who live for themselves 
sadly, are empty. I'm not saying don't take care of yourself. That's a given. That's a standard. We naturally do this. But the extreme of it, of putting us as number one first, that's called selfishness, greed, survival of the fittest. I make sure everyone else is second so that I can be number one. And that is not a good thing to do in this society because a lot of people get crushed. Jesus is calling for the opposite. He actually displays it himself. Jesus is saying when you love your God in real relationship, when you love deeply the one who is love, your father, you magically start loving your neighbors. Those God is placed next to you. When you hang out with the one who is love, and watch the way that he loves you, you start to change and you start to automatically want to love the people around you instead of hate the people around you because you are being influenced by God. You would think God would have an Instagram account or a TikTok account now, huh? Twitter or Facebook account and that he would be the greatest influencer on the earth. And he actually is. He is so great and influential, he doesn't even need a social media account. Isn't that amazing? But when you get influenced by the one who shows the greatest love, forgiveness, and grace, you start to show great love, forgiveness, and grace to those around you. It is the greatest proof and sign you love God. A person can tell how much you hang out with God by the way you treat the people around you. Let me say it again. A person can tell how much you hang out with God by the way you treat the people around you. It is the proof. After all, I spend time with God all day, every day. Really? Do you love like he does? If that love is not being shown or the way that we are treating others, it is a direct reflection of what's going on in our lives. Jesus said in John 13, 34, love one another as I have loved you. You must love one another. By this, all people will know you are my disciples by your love for one another. He says, this will be the sign. This will be the medallion around your neck that says Jesus' disciple is the way that you love those who are around you, You're one another. John says this. In 1 John 4, 7, he says, Dear friends, listen to this. Please don't miss this. Let us continue to love one another, for love comes from God. Anyone who loves is a child of God and knows God. But anyone who does not love does not know God, for God is love. God showed how much he loved us by sending his one and only son into the world so that we might have eternal life through him. This is real love. Not that we loved God, John says, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. Dear friends, he writes, since God loved us that much, we surely ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love each other, God lives in us and his love is brought to full expression in us. They see God when they see his love pushing through us. If you love God, church, legacy, if you love God like you say you do, it will show in the way you treat the people around you. It is the measuring stick in your life to show how much you know God. It is a mirror. 
You shout, you know God, but if you just want to measure how much you know God, look at how you treat the people around you, your neighbors. Look at how you think in your marriage, in your family, with your friends, with your coworkers, with your neighbors on the street. How do you think about them? How do you, this is the measuring stick. It shows you immediately how much you know God. Isn't that crazy? It's all hidden right in this text. You say, I love God. And God would say, Jesus would say, then please love people the way God loves people. How do you treat people around you? If not so good and you are a Christian, this is an alarm telling you you need to spend more time with your Father. Love your God. And you will magically love the people around you more. I'm telling you. You will love your spouse better. You will love your kids better. You will love your coworkers better. You will have grace filled in your heart, not even knowing, like, I should be really ticked off at this person right now, but I'm not. That's okay. I know this dude just cut me off on the freeway, brake checked me four times, is honking, and gave me the bird. But man, I just had some awesome time with the Lord, and I'm not mad at you, man. It's okay. I've heard a lot of people in life and I'm thankful God hasn't thrown me away. He just keeps loving me. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to love like he does. D.L. Moody put it this way. A man may be a good doctor without loving his patients. A good lawyer without loving his clients. A good businessman without loving his employees. A good geologist without loving the scientific method. But he cannot be a good Christian without loving his neighbor. Dr. James Dobson said this, there is no greater opportunity to influence our fellow man for Christ than to respond with love when we have been unmistakably wronged. Richard Sibbs said this, we are as we love, not as we know. People don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. You may know a lot, but that doesn't mean it transforms the heart. You've heard it said, people miss heaven by 18 inches. They got it all up here, 18 inches from the head to the heart. It never gets into the heart. People know if you love them. Did you know that? People know if you love them. It's the one thing we can't fake. Even a child knows. We may be able to fake our way through many people to get what we need or want, but the one thing we can't fake is love. People know. Isn't that amazing? It's the one thing that every human being can tell. Does, you just ask, does that person love you? You can tell them right off the bat, doesn't love me or definitely loves me. You know. You can't fake this one, and Jesus points to this being the center of the whole universe. As we love God, we will love people, for God loves people. Verse 40, and we close. On these two commandments hang the whole law and the prophets. Have you read through the Bible? No. I'd like to one day. Have you read through these two commands? You have absorbed the entire word of God. Figuratively, of course. 
the whole Bible is summed up in these two commands, and I would go so far as to say the whole universe is meaningless without these commands. Love God, please, and just love people in this city. And you will have your purpose. You will wake up and know your calling for life. Wake up and love your God today. Wake up and love the neighbors around you. Jesus talking to the lawyer, the scholar of the Old Testament says, love is the way, not some dumb command to keep you proving you are keeping God's commands and get applause from those around you. Sorry. God is not looking for that. He's looking for a relationship with you, not a man disciplined and mechanical rule following to get brownie points. That's not a relationship. There's no love in that. Notice Jesus is also checking the lawyer and the Pharisees within the answer. He says, you guys are really loving God and by trying to trap your neighbor now, aren't you? Me. I've come to help and save you and you guys want me dead. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love your neighbor the same way you take care of yourself. If you wouldn't do that to yourself, don't do that to your neighbor. If you would do that for yourself, do that for your neighbor. Can you imagine if we just did that in this society? The golden rule, treat others the way you want to be treated. This is the whole law. This is the whole Bible. This is the law of love. Church, Christians, please. I hope it has been refreshing for you to soak in these two commands once again. But that you would get on loving your God and loving your neighbor, and we will find ourselves in a lot better place. Amen? We're going to enter into a time of prayer. I'm going to pray for us to open. We're going to have the leadership of the church come forward and stand before here. Um, we got some time left over in the service, and please, please take advantage of this time. Um, everyone needs prayer. Let's just be honest up front about that. Everyone honestly needs prayer about something. Um, and so, Please don't hesitate to come forward and receive prayer. All leadership will stand before the church. We have uh, guys and gals up here because we want to pray for your needs. That's all we want to do. We just want to talk to God about what's going on. We want to love God. We want to build relationship with him. And we want to lift up the needs of the church. We carry a lot of burdens. And the city is very stressful. And uh, it's nice to just be able to pray and lift whatever's going on in our lives to the Lord. So would you let us pray for you? Um, Please feel free to spend time in, in prayer there in your seat. If you want to go to your knees, if you want to stand and raise your hands, if, if you want to sit in your seat and just pray and reflect on the Lord, lift some things to Him, if you want to pray for somebody else in the church, maybe somebody comes to mind that you know here in the church, you want to walk over and pray for them. Let's just let this time be a time of prayer. This is what Christians do. We pray. We talk to God. We spend time with Him. And so the music will be going, and uh, it'll be a great time again for us to come before the Lord. Okay? Please take advantage of this. We do it for you. We do it for us. We do it to seek the God who loves us, who loves to bless us. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word, and we thank you for the work you've done in us today. And above all, you just want us to love you and know you and walk with you and talk with you. And I pray, Father, that we would do just that. Right now, that we would just talk with you, that we would build our relationship with you as we pray for your church, for your people. Would you minister, Lord? Would you do a great work here now? Bless our time.
as we worship, as we pray, as we seek you. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.